freedom is never more than one generation away from extinction. We didn't pass it on to our children in the bloodstream. The only way they can inherit the freedom we have known is if we fight for it, protect it, defend it, and then hand it to them with the well-taught lessons of how they in their lifetime must do the same. And if you and I don't do this, then you and I may well spend our sunset years telling our children and our children's children what it once was like in America when men were free. Americanism, not globalism, will be our credo as long as we are led by politicians who will not put America first, then we can be assured that other nations will not treat America with respect, the respect that we deserve. And GOP Josh is a young conservative influence with a lot of You're listening to the voice of the future. Fighting for America every day. This is the Conservative Crusader. And here's your host, GOP Josh. Hello and welcome. This is the Conservative Crusader here on the Red Future Radio Network. Glad to be with you all today, as always, on this Monday, September 18th, year of our Lord, 2023. If I sound excited, well, you'll understand why here in just a second, as I'm announcing after the ad read who we have joining us on the program today. So first and foremost, support us on our Patreon page, patreon.com slash GOP Josh, as little as $3 a month, patreon.com slash GOP Josh keeps us on the air. George Santos, the congressman from New York's 3rd Congressional District, joins us later in the program. You do not want to miss this interview. You do not want to miss the conversation we have with the congressman. The first time the congressman has been on the program, the first time a congressman has been on the program making a federal government debut representing the entirety. I'm just kidding. He's not representing the federal government in any way besides his own office. But you know what I'm saying? Cool time, great interview with the congressman. I encourage you all to listen and stay tuned for that later in the program. Before we get into that, let's talk about Cash Patel. If you haven't met Cash, he's a great guy. He was a a strong fighter in the Trump administration. Uh, He was uh, in the investigator leading the House Intelligence Committee's probe into the FBI and DOJ uh, during the Crossfire Hurricane investigation. Um, He alleges the DOJ violated separation of powers and his Fourth Amendment rights when it sought a subpoena of his personal email account in 2017. Uh, Seven individuals are being sued by Cash Patel, including Chris Ray and Jesse Liu, uh, former U.S. attorney for the District of Columbia. Uh, This is a quote from, I believe, from Mr. Patel. Rather than seeking to obtain information openly from Mr. Patel's official accounts, which would have provoked an immediate response and legal fight with the United States House of Representatives, uh, DOJ sought instead, uh, instead sought, non-publicly and unconstitutionally, to access his private accounts through a third-party subpoena. They did so to avoid public scrutiny when they were improperly investigating the man who was investigating them. Uh, Patel's work on the committee was instrumental in, co- in uncovering details related to the Steele dossier financed by the Democratic National Committee and Clinton campaign, which led to the Foreign Intelligence Surveillance Act uh, FISA warrants to be used against uh, former Trump advisor Carter Page. Uh, 
Google responded to the subpoena uh, December 5th, but Patel was unaware of it until December 12th, 2022, that it had been issued according to a lawsuit. Uh, Deputy Attorney uh, General Farmer Rod Rosenstein, also named as a defendant, threatened to subpoena several other, other committee staffers in response to their oversight, which a staffer called a not-so-veiled threat to unleash the full prosecutor, uh, prosecutorial power of the state against us. Uh, so that's the story on that. I just wanted to bring that out. I don't have a lot to say on that, but I wanted to mention it to you because it is Cash Patel. He's a great fighter for America First. I met him when he was here in Ohio. He got me verified on Truth Social, so uh, check me out over there, truthsocial.com slash gopjosh or just at gopjosh on the app. Um, just wanted to cover that really quickly here. And what's the FAFO? You mess around, you find out. That's what's happening for the... The state right now is they are targeting Cash Patel. All right, really quickly here. This is an interesting uh, moment, and I will encourage you to, to watch the video in the show notes below, actually. Do I have the video here? We might have the video. Uh, before we get to that, CNN host Phil Mattingly asked fellow host and analyst John Avalon to name one time in history that a candidate polling like former President Donald Trump lost the election. The panel discussed concerns about Vice President Kamala Harris along with a new CBS poll that found just 34% of Americans believed President Joe Biden would finish a second term. Uh, Mattingly then turned his attention towards the likely matchup between Trump and Biden. So let's play this clip here uh, from CNN, and I'm receiving the clip here from The Daily Caller. Deeply old candidates. Ready to litigate? Yeah, I just, tell let's me, go, okay, give me let's historical go. precedent for anyone in the history of the Republican Party, or really any party, being this far up, this close to the Iowa caucuses with this rock solid of a base that in poll after poll after poll isn't remotely malleable or willing to open openly consider anybody else losing. I, I take your challenge and I'll answer the thing. Give me a case where you've got a candidate who's been indicted four times on on over 90 counts. It's had a huge impact on his polling. But it, but, but it will when people start talk, thinking about electability. You've got a very fractured field that elevates him. Remember also Donald Trump. Yes, he has a hardcore support. Some polls, I think Washington Post, 37 percent Republicans say they will support him no matter what. But that's there's a super majority of people who are opposed to him or persuadable. And that's why I think it's a disservice to where we are, because the future is unwritten, to say that this is a foregone conclusion. It's a done deal. It's not. People haven't voted yet, and they won't even start for four months. Quickly, if I could say, if I were a Nikki Haley, I would pretty much put Iowa aside, which hasn't actually elected a Republican president since about 2000, I believe. You can correct me on that. Ooh, focus all your, angry people on your social focus media. all your energy on New Hampshire, where you can actually, it's an open primary, you can turn out independents um, who want to vote. So this lady that's speaking now, I'm going to rewind it a little bit, because she's just... Oh, well, they haven't actually elected a president. Now, Alyssa Farah Griffin, she was formerly in the Trump administration, apparently, in the uh, White House. I believe you can correct me on that. Ooh, focus all your, angry people your focus all your energy on New Hampshire, where you can actually, it's an open primary, you can turn out independents. Um, who and by the way, really quickly here, if you go from working in the Trump White House to being a commentator for CNN, that's a bad fall from grace. For Republicans, voters who don't traditionally show up in a Republican right. primary, and then South Carolina, where she's right. a former governor and, and popular. No, that'd be the problem. She's polling at eighteen percent in her own state, right? <laughs> and, and, and Donald Trump is at like something like forty-six percent in her state. With with all of the non-Trump candidates, the problem is you can't find a state that they win uh, before Super Tuesday. Yeah, and you know, I mean, yeah. I, it is it is lovely to talk about the rules that we wish we had, but politics is about the rules that we do have. And and you know, in the unless you're Joe Biden, very price process. Donald Trump has got a, a sort of a. a so that is the clip from CNN.
where they're actually challenging the fact that this is not really foregone, but I mean, it's pretty much foregone. Trump is going to be the nominee. He is going to beat Joe Biden, and we know this, and I'm tired of saying the same thing on every podcast and every episode of the program, which you can find at gopjosh.com, but it really is a foregone conclusion at this point, and anything else is just a distraction. It's fun to cover the GOP primaries because they're all supposedly Republicans that are trying to do this or do that, but really, we have decided this election. It is President Trump, and, well, we'll see where that goes. Um here in the future. So when we get back on the program in our second segment here, the United Auto Workers strike, we I promised you on Friday we'd cover it uh, cover it today and we are going to be doing that for you. Um covering what's going on in that what they're asking for, why they're striking, all of that uh, fun stuff. Uh, but also Senator Chuck Schumer is in the news. Who we actually get a name drop from him on the George Santos interview coming up here in about a minute. Um he's actually loosening the dress code for the Senate. Hot take, I agree. With this move. So we'll go into that here in just a second here. Uh, but first and foremost, let me tell you about our friends over at Fiverr. Fiverr is the world's largest marketplace for both buyers and sellers and offers them a digitally streamlined transactional platform. You can get logo design or voiceover or translation services, or I don't really know what else you can get over there, but you can get all kinds of stuff over there by going to bit.ly slash GOP Josh Fiverr, F I V E R R, or click the link in the show notes below. That's bit.ly slash GOP Josh F I V. E-R-R. And we will be back here in just a minute with Congressman George Santos. It feels so nice to say Congressman joining us on the program because it's always been a, a dream of mine and a bucket list item of mine to have a member of Congress on the program. And well, now we're doing it. Back after this with George Santos here on The Conservative Crusader on the Red Future Radio Network. You're listening to The Conservative Crusader. This is The Conservative Crusader. Welcome back. This is The Conservative Crusader here on the Red Future Radio Network. Joining us today is one of America First's best fighters up on Capitol Hill. If you can't tell I'm talking fast, I'm excited to have this man on the program. Uh, He is the congressman from New York's 3rd Congressional District, Representative George Santos. His house website is santos.house.gov. Congressman, welcome to the program. Thank you for having me, Josh. Well, thank you for hopping on. It truly is an honor to speak with you today. Uh, So before we go down to D.C. and talk about what's going on on Capitol Hill, uh, you represent New York, which is a heavy target of Republican border state governors uh, sending up their illegal migrants uh, flowing into their states, and then they're sending them on buses up to New York, uh, specifically to the city, which is a sanctuary city. Uh, You had a great reaction to this, uh, especially uh, with the United Nations in town on Twitter this weekend. Uh, Can you tell us a little about that? Yeah, absolutely. So um, um, my colleagues here from New York City um, and from New York State in general, um, Representative Ocasio-Cortez, Nadler, uh, Agent Esperalta, Nidia Velasquez, and uh, and much more, they were uh, on Friday doing a press conference outside of the Roosevelt Hotel. They got booed by New Yorkers. They're in the belly of the beast, Josh. Think about it. This is where Republicans lose 70-30 to Democrats. There's no reason there should be booed by bystanders in the middle of Manhattan's midtown. And they were, which is indicative that this issue transcends political uh, affiliation. This isn't about Democrats and Republicans. This is about quality of life. This is about a sovereignty and a lack thereof a sovereignty with an invasion through our southern border because of failed policies from the Biden administration. So I took it back 
and went to the same location, same hotel, did my press conference on Saturday. I had same amount of members from the media there. We had same coverage, but guess what? We had support from bystanders. We have people clapping in their cars driving by because it's about common sense. It's about talking to the people about the things that are ma- that matter to them and the things that are really affecting their lives. I have close to 7,500 undocumented aliens in New York's third congressional district right wow. now. It would be a dereliction of duty if I wasn't doing anything to fix that. And that's why I'm bringing the heat on every single day to everybody when it comes to this issue. And you absolutely are. And we appreciate you putting so much heat on the people. Uh, But what is the federal solution to the migrant crisis you see on the border and in blue states, sanctuary cities that are actually overflowing uh, like New York? Close the border. That's number one. You need you need to create all and any possible entry through a non-point of entry, you need to put deterrence in every single one of those locations. The floating devices that the governor installed is a start, but we need to do so much more than that. Uh, It might look inhumane, but that creates deterrence because the moment people see a visible, notable death trap in front of them, they will not attempt to come. It creates deterrence. And then on top of that, to handle what's going on here internally, stop throwing money at this issue and prolonging the issue. We need to double the size of the immigration court. Right now we have 700 immigration uh, judges. We need 1,400. We need to expand USCSI, not the IRS. We need to take that money that we put in for the 97,000 highly armed and trained and skilled IRS agents and put it into USCSI because at that point, what we'll be able to do is to run and streamline the process because at the end of the day, out of the, what, two, three million people who's, who've made it in here into this country so far since Biden took office, we're going to be able to process 80% of them who are not eligible for asylum claims and our uh, asylum uh, status and are just here as economic migrants, we'll be able to process them right out of here, send them back to where they came from. And then the burden on us internally drops significantly to sustainable levels, sustainable, normal levels that the United States has learned to operate with, with the asylum process. Cause we're not turning away asylum seekers. We're just turning away people who just don't have a claim to be here. And if they want to live here, go back home, go to your um, the American embassy back home and go about it the proper way and wait the six, seven, 10, 12 years it takes to get here. Pretty plain and simple. And I'm glad to hear that thought from you. One thing I didn't hear you mention is sending the military to the border. I've always thought that was a stupid idea. What are your thoughts on that, that solution being proposed by some members of Congress? I think it's silly. I think we should not be sending the military to the U.S.-Mexico uh, border. I think the the issue here is strengthening um, CBP. It's giving them the resources, giving them the funding, giving them the manpower. Plain and simple. I completely agree with you. So now let's head down, head down to D.C. A lot of news came out overnight last night. Uh, we have the spending deadline on September 30th fast approaching. We saw a, a wave of Republicans coming out against a continuing resolution that's being put up. Uh, what are your thoughts on this continuing resolution, and what are your top goals with this upcoming budget? Uh, the top goal with the budget is to cut spending. That's number one. But we need to cut spending where spending needs to be cut, not on stuff like water infrastructure, not stuff like on quality of life infrastructure as a whole. There's other places for for money to be cut. And one place that I am saying that we should be cutting funds is to the defense budget in order to to allow aid to go to countries like um, Ukraine. We have given $116 billion to this war, and we have not advanced it one iota. With that kind of money, with the kind of support we've been giving, 
they should have wiped out the Russians a long time ago if that was their real goal. So it brings up to question, is their goal to really fight Russia or to continuously milk the United States? That's number one. Number two, on the CR, I, I don't disagree with my colleagues who are voting no. I just have a different uh, opinion on them on this one. I do not believe in a continued resolution. However, I believe that it's Congress's job to avoid a government shutdown because I'm responsible for over, what, 7,000, I'm sorry, approximately 7,000 federal employees in New York Star District. That means these people have to feed their families, keep a roof over their house. If we shut down the government, these people stop getting paid. These people stop getting paid, they can't feed themselves. Winter's amongst us. They can't pay their heating bills. So there's a responsibility there that has to go into this. Now, I've made it very clear. I will vote for this CR the way it is right now, even though it's not perfect, but I'm not going to let perfect be the enemy of, you know, good, but it's 30 days and it's only 30 days and I will not vote for another CR. It is a one-shop deal, a one-stop deal until October 31st. If we can't come to a resolution then, then we have a big problem. But my fear is that Senator Schumer will shoot it down and send it back to us with a whole bunch of mumble jumbo in it. And then we will go into a shutdown. So at this point, I have a feeling in my heart that a shutdown is eminent. And if we go into a shutdown, this is on Chuck Schumer. This is on President Biden, because this CR is all about protecting the border. We're willing to give them a 30-day extension to continuously fund government in exchange for shutting down the border. If they're not willing to do that, they're not serious about the migrant crisis. And if they're not serious about the migrant crisis, they don't care about Americans because the migrants take away resources from Americans, whether it's SNAP, housing, education, it dilutes and takes away the quality of services that American citizens receive day in and day out. I completely agree with you on that, sir. I'm still not completely sold on the CR, but I understand your perspective there. Um, do you see a path to have individualized spending bills as people are hoping for? Because that doesn't seem to be uh, in the path anytime soon. It's the only way that we're going to fund this government because I am not willing to vote on an omnibus bill. Well, that's good to hear, and I'm glad to hear that. So spe- uh, the, the budget is one thing. And I'm not alone on that, which is another I, thing. I know that. There's a lot of vocal vocal members already uh, talking about that as well. Uh, so Speaker McCarthy came out a few days ago and advised certain committees to begin an impeachment inquiry. You know this already. Uh, into President Biden. Uh, many of your fellow members believe this is too little, too late, and also a distraction from the ongoing budget negotiations. Uh, do you think this is an appropriate time for an impeachment inquiry? Uh, what are your thoughts on it in general? And do you think the House can multitask with both this inquiry and the budget, or is it going to create too much chaos? Completely different committees. So absolutely, to answer your question, the, the, the committees are so different. There's very little overlap. The committees can absolutely work in tandem to the committees that are tasked with uh, funding the government and, and working out the budget are one. The committees are tasked with making sure that they can impeach Joe Biden uh, constitutionally or another. Look, uh, there's never a good time to impeach a president. There's never an opportune time to impeach a president, whether you agree with the president or not, because impeachment, all it does is divide the country cost millions of dollars and alienate half the country, right? But the reality is, is I think that the speaker's approach was simple. Uh, they were investigating him. Now the committee has required expansion of the scope to investigate the president and an impe- impeachment inquiry was necessary. I support that. 
Would I have liked to see an impeachment inquiry over uh, earlier in the summer? Absolutely. The moment we started unveiling all of Hunter Biden's emails and the fact that the president lied, that he said he did not know about Hunter's dealings, that he did not have any knowledge, and then versus later saying that he does not recall these people. It, at that point, in, in early, I think it was late June, early July, that's when the inquiry should have been launched. But I guess the speaker was allowing the members of the committee to continuously do their investigation. And then when the IRS whistleblowers came out, if at that point it didn't happen, I thought it would never happen. The fact that it happened makes me happy because you can't just vote for impeachment without a formal impeachment inquiry or else you'd be stooping to the low levels of society like Nancy Pelosi did. So I'm glad that an inquiry is out there. And now that we'll have an opportunity to go ahead and hold this president accountable for all the hurt he's put this country through and for selling out the vice presidency while he was vice president so his son can go profit millions and millions from corrupt nations like China and Ukraine. Well, Congressman, I have to say you've taken my my uh, my words out of my mouth with that. So I completely appreciate you joining me today. That's all I've got for you. Uh, I, I'm going to link your show notes in the show notes below your uh, congressional website, your uh, campaign website. Where can people find you on social media? Santos, uh, uh, it's Generally, Rep Santos uh, at all social medias, and you're able to find me there uh, or just simply type George Santos. <laughs> and if you're really based on Twitter, you're really good on Twitter, he'll follow you back, which I, I have to brag. I've got the George Santos follow back. I just, <laughs> <laughs> it's great. Well, well, Congressman, thank you for joining us on the program today. I hope to have you on again soon. Thank you, Josh. Keep, keep up the fight and keep being a good patriot. Yes, sir. Back after this. You're listening to The Conservative Crusader. Fiverr is the world's largest marketplace for digital services, offers both buyers and sellers a digitally streamlined transactional platform. If you need to buy something, sell something, or whatever you want to do on Fiverr, just go to bit.ly slash GOP Josh Fiverr today to get your gig or to put your gig on Fiverr and help support the program as well. That is bit.ly slash GOP J-O-S-H Fiverr F-I-V-E-R-R. This is The Conservative Crusader. Welcome back. This is The Conservative Crusader. Hope you enjoyed that interview with Representative Santos out of New York. It was a great interview, a great time, and I just enjoyed sitting down with him and actually speaking with him. And he's just, he's fantastic. He's a great congressman doing the right work for the right people. And, and we're going to disagree on the uh, continuing resolution, but I see his perspective and I see why he's, he's voting for it. And I can't blame him. Um, and I think picking battles, and I'm going to go into this a little bit more, uh, soon, but I think picking battles with congressmen because they don't agree on one issue is one thing. Um, George Santos has been incredibly solid. He has a, a hard standing MAGA America first voting record. He has done everything right. And the reason he's voting against this continuing re or voting for this continuing resolution for 30 days, by the way, only 30 days is not really a bad reason. And I completely stand with George Santos and well, he's a great, great patriot. So really quickly here, Trump will not be attending the GOP debate on September 27th uh, in Semi-Valley, California, which is at the Reagan uh, Ranch, I guess you could call it, the Reagan Institute. He will be in Detroit, Michigan, where he will deliver a speech to unionized auto workers who are currently on strike. Great time, and that's uh, from Laura Loomer. Great time to transition here to coverage about the United Auto Workers strike. So Ford is uh, possibly going to face a strike in Canada at this point. So on Friday, 
The United Auto Workers Union launched a targeted strike against Ford, General uh, General Motors, and Stellantis, who I'm going to be referring to as Dodge because that's who they make. They make Chrysler, Dodge, Jeep, Ram, Fiat, all those brands. Um, Canadian Union uh, Unifor, who's a contract with Ford, expires at 11.59 p.m. Monday, so that's tonight, uh, said they might strike as well. So what the American strikes are focusing on are mainly, mainly the Detroit area and Michigan headquarters and, and Michigan uh, plants. So let's see if we have a list here. GM is sending what they call scabs, 2,000 of them home. Ford cut 600 jobs. Um, so what a scab is is someone who works when the union is striking, if they're not a unionized uh, member, I guess. Um, the United Auto Workers, who say record corporate profits should yield a record contract, and we went backwards roughly $10 an hour in wages over the last six years, the president told NPR, which is who I'm sourcing this from, which, by the way, my taxes shouldn't pay for this coverage. At the same time, in the last decade, these companies have made a quarter trillion dollars in profits. Um, they said they have generous things on the table, generous deals on the table. But what I'm hearing is they're also seeking a four-day, eight-hour work week, which is a 32-hour work week, um, and they're asking to be paid for 40 hours. That doesn't work. That's not how these things go. You you don't you don't get to work for for three days or four days and get paid for five. Um, so they're seeking a 40 some percent increase. Uh, so the union strategy: thirteen thousand auto workers at the three Midwest plants. Uh, do we have a plant list name? Maybe here we do. Uh, General Motors assembly plant in Wentzville, a Stellantis who is uh, Dodge. Assembly plant in Toledo, which actually makes the Jeeps, according to, to J.R. Majewski on the ground there, and a part of a Ford plant in Wayne, Michigan, were the first to join the picket lines. Um, pardon me. Normally, companies give partial pay to workers when a plant is idled. Uh, so the union strategy here, according to NPR, 13,000 auto workers of the three Midwest plants, about 9% of the unionized workforce of the big three automakers, were the first to walk off the job. Now more workers are temporarily out of work as the automakers are asking hundreds of non-striking workers not to show up for work. Uh, the UAW's call for a 40% pay increase is still intact as negotiations continue. Uh, President Biden urged lawmakers to share their profits with workers as the strike tested his bid to be the most pro-labor president. He is dispatching the acting labor secretary, Julia Su, and Gene Sperling, a White House senior advisor to Detroit, to help with the negotiations. So what this is going to tell me and what it's going to look like for the future is that when labor unions strike, and I completely support many of the things UAW is fighting for, um, I'm not a big fan of the 40% pay increase. It's quite a lot. Um, it's not really with the cost of living adjustment unless they can justify that. And the 32-hour work week, uh, getting paid for 40 hours is not it's just not right at all and it's not what we should be doing. Um, but the majority of everything else they're fighting for are noble values, are noble causes, and I understand where they're coming from. My problem is you're going to strike. And then we're going to have um, a lot of people who just move their country companies out of the country. We saw a major increase in Canadian or Canadian production, which they're going to strike too. Uh, cars made in Mexico and overseas being imported. It's going to be pricier. But if you can guarantee you're not going to have labor unions striking against you. Why would they not move them out of there? And maybe they, they can't. I don't know about that. But what I know is you're going to see people who don't understand the point of, of still working and doing business in the United States if you strike because you can't work more than 30 hours a week. 
That's a stupid reason to strike. I support UAW, uh, and and this strike is generally noble, but some of the reasons they're choosing to strike just don't make any sense to me, and I don't understand the purpose of them. Maybe maybe I can be correct, and maybe I can be wrong. If you disagree with me, call in 574-675-6747. It'll be on the program, uh, on a voicemail. Uh, that's the patreon.com slash Josh voicemail line. But it is uh, free to use for anyone, just brought to you by our subscribers over there on Patreon, patreon.com slash gopjosh57, gopjosh7. So really quickly here, we have Chuck Schumer actually loosening the dress code for the U.S. Senate. So previously, you had to wear a coat and a tie if you're a senator and you're going to be in the Senate. You have to wear a dress or a formal wear if you're a woman and you're you're in the Senate, Uh, right? The sergeant in arms elected by senators and acts as a protocol off, uh, officer in law enforcement enforces the rules in the Senate. Senate Majority Leader Chuck Schumer directed the sergeant not to enforce the Senate's dress code. Uh, Schumer said senators are able to choose what they wear on the Senate floor. I will continue to wear a suit. The change only applies to senators. Staff members must still follow the code, which requires business attire. Uh, this is pr- most likely because, according to uh, CBS... Because of John Fetterman, he's a Democrat from Pennsylvania, he wears a short, shorts and hoodies to work, even before Schumer's announcement. He even donned a sweatshirt for a news briefing about the collapse of I-95 earlier this year. This guy, John Fetterman, who we saw barely get elected around Dr. Oz, who's not even from Pennsylvania, not really a great candidate to run there, he wears hoodies to work. He wears basketball baggy shorts to work and the people should get to see that and decide if they want him to represent them i actually support this move and i think it's probably short-sighted and we'll see but if you can go into the the senate wearing maga hats and wearing trump shirts if we have people like ted cruz not really jd vance that'll actually do that they'll regret this decision very quickly but it also shows the people that if you're not capable of getting dressed, you should not be in that chamber. This is a, a citizen-elected uh, office, much to my dismay. Um, it should be appointed by the states as it was historically. That's why it's the House of Representatives representing the people, and the Senate represents the states. Anyways, um, you should be able to be accountable to the people in every single way, including the way you dress. If you dress like an idiot, if you dress like a fool, if you wear shorts and a tank top and hoodies and and Daisy Dukes or whatever else to the Senate floor, you are accountable to the voters. Hey, 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 voters, your your senator can't show up to work wearing a proper outfit. Are you still going to elect them back to the Senate? That would be enough for me. If you're not able to put on a necktie, if you can't tie a tie on your neck, or even put on an atrocious clip-on, you should not be in the Senate. And that would be enough for me as a voter uh, to say, hey, you can't even wear a tie, why would I elect you? I mean, I, I'm just, I don't understand why why this was a, I understand historically why this was a thing. I don't understand why we haven't seen the benefits of getting rid of it and why conservatives are advocating against it. I support everyone in Congress wearing a coat and tie and being professional and being like an actual human being and looking like you're ready for work. But if you show up not ready for work and the American people see that, and they make the decision not to reelect you, or Pennsylvania makes the decision not to reelect you. That's your own fault. If you can't wear clothes, you shouldn't be in Congress. 
in the Senate. But it it makes you more accountable to yourself and makes you more accountable to the people that you are supposed to represent. So that's my spiel on this whole dress code thing. I support getting rid of it because of that reason. And, and, and John Fetterman is a joke. We know that. But also, he's not going to wear a suit either way. And so he'd be kicked out of the Senate or he'd be getting in trouble but not really making news about it. If the voters of Pennsylvania sees this and, and they go and they make news out of it, well, that's the end. Back after this here on the Red Future Radio Network with our Ohio segment here on the Red Future Radio Network. You're listening to the Conservative Crusader. Hey everyone, it's Joe P. Josh. We can only keep the Conservative Crusader podcast or, or program that you're listening to right now on the air with your support. We have recently launched a Patreon program where you can support us here at Red Feature Radio for as little as $3 a month. You can find that at patreon.com slash gopjosh. You can also support the program at anchor.fm slash theconservativecrusader for as much or as little as you'd like to give. This program will remain free and financial support is not required or expected, but anything to keep us on the air helps. Thank you, folks. And now, back to the Conservative Crusader. everyone this is the conservative crusader here on the red future radio network glad to be joining you all uh, really quick football update for you all ohio state crushed western kentucky university uh, 63 to 10 uh, over the weekend the bengals lost to the ravens and we'll cover that here in just a second from a funny tweet i saw from nick adams alpha male uh 27 to 24 and the browns are playing tonight on Monday Night Football with the Pittsburgh Steelers at 8.15 on ABC. So really quickly here, <laughs> Nick Adams uh, is a funny Twitter account. I'm a, I'm a friend of his, okay? We're alpha males together, alpha male brother, and whatever that you want to get into there. An arrest warrant had been issued for 26-year-old registered Democrat Joseph Lee Burrow. Burrow has been charged with aggravated theft after allegedly defrauding his employer out of $275 million. <laughs> We do a little trolling. It's called We Do a Little Trolling. Now, obviously, this isn't real, but it's it's funny, and, you know, he kind of he kind of did that. We do a little trolling. And, I mean, he just, he he's not that great. He's not, he's not really as good as he has been. I don't know what, I don't know what happened, but but Burrow is not the, the saving grace that we have experienced on the Bengals the previous couple years. He's just, he, he's kind of not there at this point. We do a little trolling. I don't know what to tell you. So our Ohio news for today is not really involving politics, but it's involving something that Ohio near and dear. Our birthplace of aviation title. So true. We are the birthplace of aviation. I don't care about North Carolina. I don't care they were first in flight. 
We are the birthplace of aviation. And when we're going to be basing a new aviation type of, of some way, a giant drone that four people and a pilot can fit into is going to be made in Dayton. So Ohio plans to offer grants and consider job creation tax cuts for a company that wants to build air taxis and says it will create 2,000 jobs at the Dayton International Airport. Uh, Governor Mike DeWine announced today that Joby Aviation Inc. plans to build an electric air taxi manufacturing facility in the Miami Valley to test and fly all-electric vertical takeoff and landing air taxis uh, to be used by commercial passengers. Ohio Legacy in Aviation begins with the Wright Brothers and continues now here in Joby Aviation as they launch a new Advanced uh, Aviation Manufacturing and Aerial Mobility in Dayton, DeWine said in a statement. The aircraft will roll off Joby's Ohio production lines and will redefine urban transportation and continue to a transformal change in the way people and goods travel. These things can fly over 200 miles per hour, over 100 miles per hour. It does not say if it's electric or it's gas. Uh, the company is based in California. It uh, says the taxis will be designed to hold a pilot and four passengers. Uh, the Department of Development Tax Credit Authority plans to consider a job creation tax credit for the Joby uh, with an estimated value of $93 million. Uh, Jobs Ohio is considering an $110 grant, and I think that's probably million, and talent acquisition services to help the company attract talent. They will invest, Joby will, at least $477.5 million at the 140-acre airport site and plans to produce up to 500 aircraft annually. Construction is expected to begin next year, with the facility coming online in 2025. The company believes its new payroll is expected to surpass $140 million. Ohio has a long, rich history in aviation, uh, and we're proud to bring the next chapter of that story to life in the place where it all started. As one of the top states in the country for aviation manufacturing and innovation, Ohio will play an important role in the future of our industry, and we're looking forward to growing our team out here. Uh, Jobin Bervert, founder and CEO of Joby, said, I wonder if Joby is Joe Ben Joby. The state hopes Joby's investment will draw other advanced air mobility opportunities to Ohio, causing a ripple effect that could lead to an overall $13 billion economic impact statewide in the creation of 15,000 new Ohio jobs by 2045. I love Ohio. But the way we're bringing in, and I'm not saying innovation is bad, but we are selling an entire county pretty much. Uh, to Intel, and that is Licking County. They're, they're taking up so much land, they're pretty much buying the whole county. Um, and now we're going to do the same thing for a California tech company trying to build air drones that people can fit in. I think the idea is a great idea. Having the possible drones flying around, having the easy transportation to get from Columbus to Cleveland in an hour, you know, flying these things are even faster. Um, that would be incredible. But I don't see this becoming to fruition and coming to fruition. I don't see a pathway for these drones to actually create anything. I don't see a lot of people wanting to ride in these drones unless they're important business people and they're all important people. And I don't know when they're even going to launch in Ohio. So the question is, why Ohio? And why now? And why are California tech companies wanting to bring people into the state of Ohio to pump them up in jobs and bring them to Dayton, which is a blue city? Um, why are they doing that now? What's the rush? Um, I like that the innovation is continuing in Ohio, and I love that Ohio is 
what it is. It's a great state. I love Ohio, but I'm afraid with the amount of innovation we are bringing in, we are basing uh, in this in this state. We're not the largest state in the world. We're number seven, if I remember correctly. And we're kind of drawing it all. We're kind of pulling it all behind us. I don't know. I'm just, I, I'm a little skeptical about all of this. But we'll see where it goes. It's not my decision to make. I hope Joby is successful. I hope I can get from Columbus to Cleveland in an hour and make a lot of things I want to do a lot easier. And then you can just fly out of things going south and they see a MAGA hat in my car and they start shooting me, you know? Uh, <laughs> uh, so we'll see where that goes here in the future. But I don't see it going very far at all. All right, friends, that's going to wrap it up for the program today. Uh, this Wednesday, we're going to have a big program, big, big, big program. Uh, and I cannot wait for you all to hear that one. That will be on the 20th. But until then, my friends, stay safe. Well, I haven't even played the outro yet. We're a little early. We're about a minute early. All right. Quick time to tell you about our social media pages, our verified profiles on Twitter, Getter, or not Getter. I I'm mimicking Steak for Breakfast now, a great podcast I listen to. Shout out to Steak. Uh, my verified profiles on X and Truth Social at GOP Josh 20 on X, formerly Twitter. And Truth Social is at GOP Josh. Follow me over there. Facebook page we have as well. Don't use it very often, but it's important to have GOP Josh over on Facebook. Instagram is GOP Josh 20. I just repost memes on that one. It's a funny page. Uh, GOP Josh 20 for that. But Twitter is my main platform. And make sure if you enjoyed the interview with Congressman Santos or you missed it, uh, because you're listening live, go back to the podcast, listen to that second segment of the program, share it to all your friends, and, well, we'll see where that goes. I think we're good on time now, friends. We'll be back with you all on Wednesday. Have a great rest of your day. Stay safe, stay healthy, and most importantly, my friends, stay tuned. A production of Red Future Radio. You're listening to The Conservative Crusader. 